0: Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire War games. I'm your host Albert, and this is episode
1: one twenty-six. It is not a war game. Oh, wait, no, never mind. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I knew you would.
0: That's that's hilarious. <laughs> and actually, maybe it isn't. But <laughs> oh, it's not. Oh, wait. Um. And we could get into that later, or <laughs> do we get into it now? Because here's the thing: it's not a war game because it's not covering a war. It is covering the rise and fall of a, a
1: nation, which is a war against all of the outside world. It's a series of wars. That's one they war. <laughs> Why don't, well, so a, in case a, everyone doesn't know and didn't read the topic header, we are going to be talking about the GMT game and Cheria later on in this podcast, and Albert and I are already talking about whether or not it's a war game. <laughs> and for a change, Albert says it isn't.
0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back. By the way, are you here? Sorry, I didn't realize we're on. Is who here where? <laughs> Our audience. I hope they're here. And this is Albert, and you are Julius. Hello, I'm Julius. And so, yeah, we are back. Um, it's been a good two weeks, busy weeks as always, but uh, good.
1: Much stuff, How much many has been play. going on.
0: Yes. Did we talk about um, Sagrada last time? I got my copy in.
1: Ooh. Yeah, we're going to do it. I like it. Now. I'm glad you like it. Yes. Do you have that now? Have you played it? Uh, I have not yet played it. I know that someone in my local group does have a copy of it. I'm sure I'm going to get to play it. Um, I have played 14 hours of Gloomhaven in the last two weeks. (laughs) Um, So every time that that person owns the Gloomhaven copy that we are all playing, and every time he's around – We just keep playing Gloomhaven. So I've yet to play Sagrada, but I do really want to play Sagrada. Wow, okay. So is this Gloomhaven like a campaign? Is it going to reach an end, or is it just... The Gloomhaven is a campaign that's got like, I don't know, 80 scenarios in it. I don't think you can play every single scenario as you play through the campaign. It does eventually Mm -hmm. reach an end but i don't think you can have played through all of it i'm intending on getting my own copy and playing through it with some other people once it comes in august or sometime later than that so okay
0: yeah time you make it sound like an interesting game that i may want to play it's a it's a
1: it's a really interesting game it's a euro, it's a euro campaign game where they've tried to cut down it's like descent but they've tried to take out dice mm,
0: okay That it does sound interesting
1: I like it it's a tactical dungeon playing dungeon dungeon quote dungeon delve game okay
0: how long is it a single session
1: of the game about an hour and a half to two hours okay I wish it was easier to organize the whole thing I mean he actually went and bought you know he went all in and got the wood box from Meeple Realty and so that's easier to organize but I, I'm not going to afford that kind of stuff mm-hmm yeah
0: those things add up yeah
1: <laughs> they really do so I wish it were easier to right. sort, and I think we talked about that with V Commandos last time, but it is what it is.
0: Yeah. All right, so what else do we have to talk about other than uh, Gloomhaven?
1: Well, I, I think we have the Glooms Gloomhaven We can show. talk about some other things.
0: Yep, okay. Uh, that's a good idea. The Tabletop Day is coming up, which is exciting for people that love to play games. Um, a little less exciting if you're like Solitaire Games, because they don't seem to do much Solitaire Gaming Tabletop Day.
1: Well, I don't know how they would do tabletop day. I mean, we do have the one player con or the solo con once we get to GenCant. Um, but I don't know how you would manage to do tabletop day solitaire because the whole point of tabletop day is to, you know, get together and play games games, and get cool free stuff theoretically.
0: Yeah, the free stuff, and that's interesting. That is interesting. There's one or two free things I want, but not much else. But I've heard that it's it, weird this year where they've changed how they do that.
1: What do you mean? Did you hear about that? No, I
0: didn't so hear about now, that. In, in the past, the stores would order a box of and say, oh, I want three promo boxes, or I want the deluxe box and the basic box, or whatever, or however many, and they would get the stuff that's in that box. This year, they've changed it up, and the store can order the specific items they want. So say, I want 10 of this promo and seven of this promo, and whatever. Interesting. And, Yeah, and so it seems to be a bit of an issue because everybody ordered the really hot games and nobody ordered the other stuff, and so there isn't enough of the really good promos and there's too many of the others. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, don't quote me on this. This is secondhand information here, but yeah. (laughs) I, I was
1: unaware that they would do that, and that doesn't sound like a good business thing to do because I imagine that somebody just prints up the whole box that... You know, it, there's something for Clank and for Fuse coming in, and for Aeon's mm-hmm. End, and for Castle Panic. And so, I mean, all of which are solo-friendly games. And so I assume that someone hands all of those things off to be produced all together and then sent off altogether. Doing it piecemeal is going to be an expensive way of producing these things.
0: Yeah. And I, I imagine they did this because the stores were complaining that they didn't have enough promos. And so they tried to make it so that everybody could get enough by, by letting you order the ones you wanted specifically. But it, I don't know. It, it, you're right. It seems more complicated and more difficult. And, you know, there are promos. Everybody wants them. And they're always a problem. Because, you know, no matter what, somebody's going to be unhappy because they weren't able to get those rare and now hard-to-find promos you wanted. At least they're not necessary for the game.
1: I don't know they, I, haven't, I haven't heard anything <laughs> like that, but. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yep, that's what I heard. Um. But so yeah, so tabletop day. So I still plan on, on playing some games. I'll try and play something solo. I will try to go to my friendly local game store and play some games.
1: I, I usually it, get oh, there after everything's already gone and done.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, it, it is also interesting. I was told that uh, at least my friend local game store this this Saturday is tabletop day. There's a Clicks release, and I think it was a. Pokemon or Yu Gi Oh release or something. So it's gonna be super busy. Cool. There's events for all three, <laughs> and it's not that huge, or they could they'll have space for that much stuff. But yeah, you know, it'll Very be cool. they'll make it fun. So what else do we got? Is that it?
1: All right, and yeah, we definitely need to make sure that we're thanking our Patreon uh patrons, and. Thank you everyone who's come on to Patreon. That's patreon.com slash one player podcast and become one of our patrons. And we want to and send a special the number one. Th- that's the number one, yes. And we want to send out a special thank you to Ryan Quick, Andy Pritchard, and Thomas Rich, who have become new patrons of ours just since the last episode. So thank you to everyone who's come on and done that. Uh we really appreciate it, and hopefully it's gonna help us get uh some more consistent coverage of games in the future, especially like this time. Which you'll probably hear later on. Comancheria, I haven't had the opportunity to play it yet, and Albert has, and I know that's something we would really love to fix before, you know, in the future. Yep, that, that'll be that'll be nice. So, thank you to everyone on Patreon. Um, I think we have another couple pieces of news too. Uh, I know that Artem Safarov had come onto the guild that was looking for playtesters for Unbroken, which looks like it's going to be a small box game. That he's trying to do public blind playtesting for. It's a solo card game. I'm going to just quote the spiel here. Uh, Focusing on survival in a dark fantasy setting. It tells the tale of an unfortunate adventurer whose party got wiped out by monsters. Alone, wounded, and without any equipment, the player has to overcome the dangers of a monster infested tunnel to make it out alive
0: that sounds fun and the art looks really
1: nice the, the, art, the looks, art and the the art looks page. nice it looks fun it looks like it's supposed to be a small box game i took the time to print off the files because i wanted to be able to potentially um play the game some i have yet to be able to i'll be honest that's probably because of gloom haven <laughs> <laughs> yeah sounds uh, like it. yeah at one point in time we probably need to cut down on the frequency of playing that so we can play some other games but um, I wanted to get some plays of this in because it looks good. I've had a chance to to go over it and take a look at the rules and the cards and and how it plays. It looks like it's primarily a dice based, uh, dungeon crawl type thing where you're trying to run your way through it. Uh, but it looks really good. Looks like a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to getting to play it some.
0: Yeah, very cool. I, I look forward. I want to hear more about that once you've played it.
1: Well, do people like hearing about board game apps? Because another one got put on uh, Android, so now I've had the opportunity to play it. It's called Card Thief. And I think I talked about Card Crawl before, which is another board board gamey app. Um, these are both not originally, they're not board game implementations in app form. They're app games that sort of play like a board game. I guess that's the best way of saying it. But Card Thief is a card game where you are a thief on a 3 by 3 card grid and you are moving around and each card has a reverse side Uh, and so there's a light side and a dark side and so you have to sneak around and make sure that you're remaining in the dark as long as possible to um, hide from the bad guys and steal enough money and get through to the next area as fast as you can.
0: Okay. It sounds nice. It sounds like a simple game too. Uh, it is. I I
1: enjoy it. I think it's fun. <laughs> cool. So that's my that's a new game that I've had a chance to. I, I played it when it was in playtesting long long ago, and I know that it looks a lot different at this point in time. And it just got released yesterday in terms of when we're recording it. So I haven't had a chance to play the new version, other than just see. Ooh, it looks cool. So if you're interested <laughs> in games like that, go take a look. That's called Card Thief. On both iOS and Android.
0: All right. Okay. Yeah, I've continued to play OniRim That's my only app right now, that and Stardom's.
1: Yeah, I'm waiting for them to put out more, um, more expansions for OniRim at this point.
0: Hmm. I imagine, as since you're a play tester, you'll hear about that first, probably, so you can play test the expansions. Yeah, but I'm not able to say one way or the other or anything about that. But I'm not That's actually a on the play test anymore. Oh, okay. So, the, so then you can't say anything
1: about that so I really couldn't if I had been I wouldn't be able to say anything but I, I signed off of that yes yeah, so you would just smile and nod mm-hmm. yeah because mm-hmm. I signed up for the Jaipur playtesting <laughs> instead
0: oh okay and you can't say anything about that either and right.
1: I can't say anything about well actually I can't say things about that there's a campaign version in Jaipur I can't say anything mm, about okay. the campaign other than say that there is a campaign which is fun to play okay that's it.
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough. I, I look forward to that. It, it it'll. It sounds like I could be able to play it solitaire, and that's that's fine.
1: Yes, you can play against an, uh, against computerized opponents, Albert. But I want to talk about some kickstarters. Okay, let's do that. I had the opportunity to play Clans of Caledonia. Um, it was sent over to me, and I actually had a chance to play with the designer digitally. Um I must say that after having now played a large game instead of a small game digitally, I am not such a fan of playing really large games digitally. It was really hard. Um This is not an app version. I was playing it on Tabletopia. It was really hard playing such a large game with a lot of intricate small things. Maybe if I had a really large display, that might be better. But anyway, that's more like a review of trying to play digital games. I really was playing this, and I was like, I really want to play the physical version of this game, because it <laughs> felt so fun. Um, in Clans of Caledonia, you have a whole bunch of different resources that you're trying to weigh off. So you have wheat, cows, milk, sheep, wool, cheese, bread, a whole bunch of different resources. And each of those are on custom wooden tokens, so it's a whole bunch of different type of meeples for things. And the art really reminds me of a lot of the Uwe Rosenberg type things, um, especially Aura et Labora. And okay. you're the game plays more like Terra Mystica, is really what it felt like me. That you're trying to put out resource production of all the different types of things across the board and spending thing. And then you're going back to this uh the market is interesting because as you buy from the market things get more expensive. So there's a real um, invisible hand type economic to it. And you're putting out all these different types of resource production thing all across the board in order to try and essentially at the end of the game have the most amount of points. Okay. And see. <laughs> so it has a lot of metal coins. It, I mean, it does have metal coins, excuse me. It has a, uh, the ability to get some metal coins similar to the nice metal coins that you could get with Scythe, which I thought was a nice little touch that they have. But the game looks really nice and it was a lot of fun to play. I enjoyed playing it. If you're a fan of Terra Mystica, this is like when I, we had previously talked about the difference between, um, so if anybody remembers me talking about Loon Architects and Glenn Moore, how Loon Architects sort of felt like a revamped version of Glenn Moore, this very much felt to me like a more appealing version to me of at least of Terra Mystica. Granted, it doesn't have that Terra Mystica cups of power thing, but I like how it's sort of blended together the Agricola and Caverna with Terra Mystica is really what it feels like it's doing to me um, with having you do all these resource generation and trying to build up your, your resources to fulfill contracts and get points and and make money. I like everything that was going on here. I very much liked it as, as an excellent economic game to, to step it up a notch very much in line of Uwe Rosenberg. So this one's coming onto Kickstarter and it's going to be 39 euro if you're interested in getting it. And i have I enjoy playing through it digitally, and I'd like to get a physical copy of it, personally. Uh, Another game I want to talk about is Petrichor, because this one is just really unique in the theme and the look of it. Petrichor, which apparently is the pleasant, earthy smell after rain. This is being done by the same people who did Anachrony and Tricarion. This is a lighter game, unlike Anachrony and Tricarion. This is a lighter game (laughs) where you are a cloud, And your goal is to grow crops. (laughs) (laughs) And you want to be responsible for the most, most crop growth. And you use the four different types of seasons, I suppose, wind, sun, water, and cloud, to take actions and go around the board and vote to have other things happen. And the water droplets, which are the small glass plastic beads, go in these cardboard cloud bowls. And you'll move around your water droplets around the board and put them onto the crop tiles and do sort of an area control type thing with the crop tiles. Really unique theme. Really, really unique theme.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And an awesome look to the game. If you're the sort of person who, who wants to have something really pretty sitting on your table, I think this is something you should definitely look at. Um, petricore Make it rain. <laughs> so this is another one that's also on Kickstarter. And I'm going to say if you want a copy of just the game, it's $45. If you want the expansion, it's $55. And it's going to be ending on May 9th.
0: Yeah, that's not bad. You know, the the, the game box is all white, right? With a, just right. a picture on the front. And there's a lot of the games like that now. The first few I saw were very striking, right? You know, like... Uh,
1: it's an attractive style. I think the board art matches it, too, because the board art is primarily white. All the tiles are primarily white. It matches the art style.
0: Yeah. I the, the feel that that style started for me to get a little bit watered down, mm-hmm. whatever that's worth. Uh, another thought is, is I've always thought the idea of being a cloud would be really cool. You know, someday will reincarnate as a cloud. I however and I will go on record as saying this, I really do mean it. However, I don't think clouds could care less about the growing crops. So I find, I personally find the theme a little hard to accept.
1: Really? <laughs> of that. How much Disney because movies of that, do yes. you watch? <laughs> the clouds it's anthropomorphizing really do. clouds. It, you're I anthropomorphizing guess you're right. clouds. <laughs> i don't know i mean i'm amazed just... that this is the kind of thing that gives you trouble albert that's really what i have to say <laughs> like really that's where you have issue is is the fact that clouds don't care
0: they they don't care about the plants i mean they, they just don't
1: okay albert you're weird <laughs> you're just that now you're just weird and for the solar rules by the way it's essentially a um ai set of cards sort of like the Automa-type cards, trying to test out and see how it goes. And it came with the base of the game. It was not a stretch goal, so I was happy to see that get in there.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And so you said Petrichor is an actual word meaning the smell of the rain?
1: That's what they claim on the Kickstarter page, the pleasant earthy smell after rain.
0: Okay. And that is apparently caused by uh, ions in the air or something like that at the time.
1: I have no idea, Albert.
0: I heard this somewhere the other day. I don't remember where it was. Some, I think it was like some podcast. Some podcast. I don't think it was game related or anything.
1: So some there you go. podcast. Yep. Exactly okay. there. <laughs> anyway, that's Petricor. And if you're a fan of watching up-and-coming games coming on Kickstarter... Uh you may want to act quickly on rise to nobility now that unfortunately we're covering this late, so it's only going to have about two days left by the time when this uh when this episode drops, so you may not have a lot of time to grab it. But it is a dice slash worker placement game where your dice are your workers, similar to euphoria and that type of thing, and you're placing it around and controlling areas and building buildings in a fantasy setting. Um pretty game, one to six player game. Keep an eye on this one if you're looking for that sort of thing. But Mm -hmm. I'm not going to cover too much because we probably might have missed the boat on that one. Sorry, listeners. Yep. Yep. Sorry about that. (laughs) But Albert and I get to talk about it right now. And, you know, maybe maybe I'll try and convince Albert to back it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ain't going to happen. This is a no backing week for me. (laughs) No backing week. Yeah. (laughs) I spent enough money right now.
1: I think I'll pass. Thank you. So uh, just before we get into talking about commentary, actually, um, I wanted to take a brief second, I guess, maybe to climb on board a soapbox. Um, and I wanted to talk for a second about, I guess i would call it managing expectations that. And maybe this is something that more is just about my personal opinion on how to design games or how to develop games. But I think that when you are developing games and you're putting together what the look and style of a game is and what sort of components you have, the components really need to meet the expectation of the players. Most recently, what got me started thinking about this was for the game's Quest of Valeria that we discussed last time again because of an issue and i know there was some discussion about it on the guild and quests of valeria was a game that that bugged me because cards in hand i called it a bland resource a card in hand is essentially just a gold that you use to buy one of the cards that are on the table now had those cards been faced out and literally just a been a gold I wouldn't have felt almost robbed and had something taken away from me by having to come to the realization that although I have a bunch of cards in my hand and I could think about them, it's not worth thinking about them because it's almost never going to be worth doing it. All it would do is slow down the game and slow down my process and make for extra thinking that I have to do and extra tracking that I have to do. So by having the game played like that and by not actually making it into a valuable decision, it, it means that the expectations don't get tempered to how the game is actually supposed to be played. Uh, another similar example for how this could work is if I were taking, let's say that I had a game Mindcart Madness, which I know it is a game, but you have a game, Minecart Madness. And it's all about, you know, craziness and moving all the way around. And, you know, maybe a die roll goes here and an interaction sends you careening off this way. And I took all of the art from Minecart Madness with the crazy guys bouncing off the walls on the cover and stuck, you know, the latest Stefan Feld game where stuck Bruges in, in Minecart Madness. And I rethemed Bruges to be Minecart Madness. Someone who would pick up the game would be like, wait a second, I picked up the game expecting madness and craziness, and here I am in a thinky game where I'm having to analyze, do I want this card or this card? Hmm, I think I want this card because this one has these interactions for letting me be able to tie it into my engine building, and you wouldn't pick that up from the outside box and all the theme and everything that comes out to it. And right, Albie, you know what I was saying about about the sort of expectation of something.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's a lot happens a lot with solitaire games where, or multiplayer games that have solitaire rules, and you read the rules and says, "Oh, this is just like the multiplayer game set. You don't do this one
1: critical step that is the most fun in the multiplayer game." Right. That again, you have to keep those expectations mm-hmm. about. How everything strikes you is that if you're playing, if you're playing the game, the expectation is that all the components should get used. And I know that Albert's going to be mentioning this later on, that if there's a part of the game and something inside the box and it ends up that that piece is entirely not used, it's going to cause some strikes to get hit against a game. And I don't think this is necessarily something that as a consumer, we necessarily need to be aware of, but This is something that we should be aware of. I know a lot of us are playtesters. A lot of us are involved in the yearly print and play contest, either as playtesters or as designers. Or it's just something we should be aware of for how it is that we approach the games is that the idea that an, an expectation can really ruin a game when otherwise it would have been great. Like Bruges is a great game, but if you try and retheme it to be Minecraft Madness, it's not going to, it's not going to fit well and you're not going to like it. If they would have made the cards, in my opinion, if they would have made the cards for Quest for Valeria face down, it would have been a much better game to have removed all that aspect of it. And you have to think about how it is that the game is supposed to present itself and what sort of feelings are you supposed to be coming out of it. And I think for many GMT games, I almost feel like they're trying to do the same thing. It's supposed to be, it's not supposed to be a... You know, Dungeon Crawler, where you're getting the experience of, you know, running around the corner and high adrenaline and action and movie. It's not supposed to be like a movie. It's supposed to be very much a thinking person's game. It's supposed to be very cerebral. It's not supposed to be emotional. So I feel like almost to a certain degree, many of these war games, and I think Comancherry is a war game, (laughs) um Many of these war games try and make their art style more unemotional by removing, you know, almost I, I would say what looks like a movie on a board. They are trying to make all of that side sort of sort of reduced to manage your expectations, to make sure that you're coming into the game thinking it is cerebral. I don't necessarily think that's the best call because I don't think that expectation really passes through because I think there's other ways to do it by having more cerebral full art images. Like, for example, you would have in Splendor or in Century of essentially the man sitting on the outside of the box, just sort of his hand on his chin sitting there thinking, I think would also be a perfectly good way to show it's a cerebral game by having (laughs) more serene actions and more serene pictures. But I, I feel like that's another type of trying to manage expectations, trying to make sure that the expectation of a game matches its matches its feeling afterwards.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I see what you're saying. You know, I, I think in terms of GMT games here, the the they're coming from a different place entirely historically, in which you know people had different expectations in terms of the games. And you know, probably still happens today. A lot of historical games want their games to be historically accurate, and therefore they want to see the map of the area they're playing and that sort of thing. And the art style comes from there. And so I think in in this sense, you're getting a a conflicting expectation where you, you have somebody maybe that's playing Euro games that expects a different style of art and aesthetics than a war gamer that, that has a different goal in mind.
1: I don't think it has to do with the history, though, because, for example, I can quote the Underground Railroad, which also was a very historical game, and there they had a map that was still full of full bleed art and a lot of colors mm-hmm. and things going on, and you know, that's true. You're, I mean, you're right that that that's
0: another that's a good example of somebody having done different because they came from a different point of view already.
1: They did come in from a different point and, of view. I don't. I think they came from the non-GMT right. point and, of view,
0: and they already had different expectations, which are more were different. And so, no, you know, so now that there's a merging of things, because GMT games are getting more, I'd say Euro-friendly, or the company is itself.
1: I think. I think they're moving towards the sort of expectation that the consumer is developing, mm-hmm. because the consumer is starting to develop. I want more pictures and more art and more more bling. Yep. You know, like Sagrada is an, Sagrada is another one, another example of something that sort of manages your expectations that I'm trying to present to you that, you know, this is a thinky game. This is something where you're going to have to sit and weigh the elements and aspects of the game and figure out where your dice are, because there's a certain amount of calculus that goes into it. And that sort of matches the idea of an architect building a glass wall. You start to think, oh, I'm going to have to start calculating how I move these dice, how I use these dice and move things around. Then I feel like the theme creates an expectation of I'm going to have to sit and analyze and weigh decisions and calculate. As opposed to role player, which is the most recent type of game of dice drafting to make complicated calculations, where for me, role player and you know, for full disclosure, I actually play tested roleplayer in some of its earliest stages. And for me, I never liked the theme of roleplayer. I didn't even if you wouldn't have told me how anything works in it, I don't like the theme of roleplayer. I don't like the idea of taking the most boring part of a role-playing game, rolling up your character <laughs> and making a board game of it. I just don't like the idea of that board You're game. Not player. <laughs> <laughs> not You're not a role-player. It's
0: That's not the most boring part. What? You're not a role-player because that's not the most boring no, part.
1: That's not the most boring part? No, it's rolling fun to make characters. Yeah, it's fun. I, it's fun <laughs> to make characters, but not to get the not to roll up what stats you have. Making all the back history is fun. Making the actual stories, but rolling up the stats is, is not fun, in my opinion. But... Mm-hmm. You know, playing the game is more fun, but I mean, it's just a personal opinion, and I am a role player. Oh, okay, but whoosh,
0: Told I me. consider myself as one. Okay, <laughs> yeah,
1: I consider myself one. Anyway, um, <coughs> excuse me, mm-hmm. but again, you know, the idea of a, a role playing game. A, a, Sort of feels like more of the experience of moving through and the excitement of meeting enemies and doing away with the dungeon and questing and delving and exploring. And then you play role player, and role player is a very cerebral, gra- cerebral game. When I was playing through it, I would have to constantly be thinking, well. If I flip this to a 6, so then I can still count on having a 5 or a 6 come out, but then maybe I'll want to use that flip power over here or move a power over here, and then, well, this one already meets this goal, but maybe I'll need to add in these points over here to meet the goal. And don't forget, because I have a plus 1 printed on the board, and the whole time I'm having to do math over and over and over and over again. I felt like sometimes when I was playing it, uh, and playtesting, I wanted to have a bunch of whiteboard chips, chits, so I could just lay down the totals <laughs> of where I'm holding on each one. So I would quit doing the math over and over again. Uh, which is something that I don't have to do with Sagrada, which was nice in my opinion in comparison to Sagrada roleplayer. But for me, when you tell me I'm, here's your theme. You're a roleplaying character getting a thing, but then you don't actually get to use the roleplayer. You don't actually get to go have any adventures you don't get to go fight any bad guys and for me like well but i have dice i have a character he wants to do things but he's not going to do anything he's just going to be he's just going to be here (laughs) for me that just doesn't match the expectation that i'm looking for when you tell me i'm a role player yep yep i see what you mean as a As compared to Sagrada, if it had been a if if role player had been a construction game like Sagrada is a construction game, I would immediately think, "Oh, now I'm going to have to start weighing and calculating and measuring and preparing." But there's no construction, unless you take a very abstract version of construction.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I build everything out of dice.
1: Well, I meant like building your character as a construction, but that's a very yeah, unique yeah. sort of whiteboard for talking about construction. No, I know. Yeah. So these are these are thoughts that I've had. So I, I, I'm I'm on my soapbox here.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's great points. People should really think about the context when they're designing a the game and the expectations that that the buyers are going to have. Absolutely.
1: And I think for our listeners, it's nice just to hear where it is that we're coming from from our reviews and, you know, something to help our listeners possibly think about how to analyze what games they might enjoy and what games they might not. Because if as you're listening to this, you're like, hey, that's a really good point. You may want to think about your next game purchase of, well, does it meet my expectations and will I enjoy it? All mm-hmm. All right. So let's go on to Comancheria. All right. So actually, this
0: today's game is uh, published by GMT and designed by Joel Toppin. It's on the rise and fall of the Comanche Empire. Um, who are the Comanche? The Comanche were uh, a tribe of Native Americans living in the Southwest. Who um, they, they, they tend to be aggressive and, and fight a lot, and they grew in power and and rose. But then, with the you know, the Mexicans and Texas and America, they eventually got defeated. One thing that I found interesting actually is is I read this and I read the description, it really made me think a lot. Maybe I mentioned this already of um, like the Khans and the, and the Mongols and so all, all that they came out from the plateaus of Eurasia and attacked Rome and China and all the different areas, empires later on. Okay. I, I kind of imagine that if it had been a similar setting, this would have grown to be a very huge empire and, and passed in, in the later on like all the other ones seem to do so, so it was really neat, a neat historical subject but i am sort of digressing here
1: <laughs> just a touch oh yeah
0: <laughs> it, it is worth mentioning that this game is similar to navajo wars and it is a it, it is a re-implementation of the a lot of the mechanics from navajo wars which is a game we covered or I guess I covered way back in episode fifty. And so if you want to know more about that game, go back and listen to fifty. Actually that one's a good episode. It has an interview with Joe Toppin. Then we talked a lot about that game. It was a very interesting interview, actually. Um So the rules of this game, um you know, it's a GMT war game, so so it's gonna have a lot of rules. It's 24 page rulebook, plus and these are dense rules. Plus ten dense page ten minute, plus ten dense pages of walkthrough to teach you the game, and then another ten or twelve pages about the design notes. so there's a ton of reading material in here, probably yeah <laughs> um, I, I the rules are pretty dense, like I said, you know you, you read them and, and they're gonna have a lot of detail. they're not like the older rule books that tend to be very redundant, where you could find things repeated over and over. Um they're, they're more succinct. Um they are clear to follow and I think they're very well written and procedurally written.
1: I did find it however that sorry, it's hard to you use. said the rules are procedurally written?
0: I th- in that yes, in that it covers a section and you know you read through the the section how to do that and then there's other parts of rules that then cover in in, in more detail all the other sections. All the okay. other steps within that. I don't know I I found it very very clear and very easy to follow as I was playing. Like if I was following the rule book. The, the the bad thing I didn't like about the rule book is I found it personally hard to use as a reference book. Um for example, what one big gripe I had early on was when I opened the box, there's these counters that have a question mark on them and it had two sets and these are these are success check counters. And I I couldn't figure out why I had two different colors, and I I looked in the rules, and I had to look in about four or five different places before I finally found, at the very back of the rule book, in a little box saying, "Oh, you only need one of these sets of counters." Uh so I had already punched them both and mixed them up, and then, you know, it's just it, it was inconvenient. <laughs> so why do they give you an extra set? <laughs> I don't know. Just in case you lose the first one, or maybe they go through a lot of wear or something. I don't know. Do they They're go exactly through a lot the same. of wear? You draw from the cup a lot, but even then, you're drawing from a cup, so you won't see the counters. So, I mean, it wouldn't matter unless, like, a couple of them have gashes or something that you could feel. Super weird. And, and I wouldn't think so. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I mean, I appreciate the extra counters. Don't get me wrong. That's nice that they have them. I get to choose if I prefer playing with light or dark. And if some are, if I if I am using them and I tend to pull a lot of bad counters, maybe I'll switch to the other ones because they're probably better. Right? <laughs> Just like with dice. You know, this is a bad die I'm going to switch dice. <laughs> okay but um but yeah so so i didn't find it as good for as a reference book if i'm looking for something but when i when i know the section i need and when i have found it i I found it very easy to follow and very useful um learning this game from the rules takes a while you know it brings a, a tutorial and a walkthrough which is very clear and it goes through every step and has tons of great pictures showing you how to do it but that first game took me about four or five hours and that was only for, for one round of play. Which is about six turns. Um five or six turns. And you know, th- this is just because there's a lot to learn and it's explaining a lot in detail and sometimes giving you examples of why you might want to do something. And and so once I went through that I had a really good understanding. You didn't I didn't really need to go and read the rule book. Just sometimes refer to it. Good. Uh and so so I say it took me four or five hours Learning this game is just gonna take a while. You know, I sat down, I played my five-hour game, I took notes as I played. I later on went back and referenced things, and I took more notes and questions that I had. I, you know, I wrote them down and looked them up. And so, so learning the game is, you know, it's homework. <laughs> this is not a game you're gonna jump into lightly and just start playing. The second time I played, I think I got the. It was two hours, but I didn't finish the game. I, I played for a couple hours and then I stopped. But it was farther than my first game. And and you know over time it just got better and quicker and quicker. And now when I play a game, it's pretty fast, relatively speaking. Um. Another thing about the rules: if you've played Navajo Wars, this game is very, very similar and very familiar. So, so it'll be a lot easier f- to grasp a lot of the concepts and a lot of the strategies just from the beginning. Have you played um, Navajo Wars? Uh, well, yeah, I did, but you know that was episode fifty when I covered it, and that that was a while ago. <laughs> so it's probably been about three or four years. Wow. Yeah. Do you still have it? I still have it. You know, and so you I pulled it out it? to... No, I haven't had time to play it. Uh, and, you know, it's been so long now that it'll be really hard to get back to it because I would have to relearn the entire game. And, you know, it was like this. It, it takes a while to learn it. It's not something you learn easily and quickly.
1: Okay. Um.
0: So I did pull it out to kind of look at it and compare it and, and you know, and say, oh, what do I like better with the two games, you know? And I looked at it, honestly, I had no idea. I said, I I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm going to have to learn two games to cover this one and, and compare it. What did you um, use to learn the rules? So I used the playthrough. I read the playthrough book. You know, I mentioned it before. I, I, I was home with the flu. And so one day I pulled out the game and I just sat there in my pajamas at the dinner dinner dining room table and, and learned the game. And walking through it. And, you know, you set it up and it tells you what to do each turn and which counters to move. And why you're doing this and that sort of thing.
1: And that was the only thing you used? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Yep. I know there's also videos and stuff. I tend to not watch videos. You know, I just don't have interest in them. I have tried watching like walkthrough videos like Rodney's, what was it? How to play and watch a play, whatever it's called. And I don't have the patience to sit through 20-minute tutorial. I don't know. So, yeah, there you go. Um what's I saying so yeah so the game is similar to Navajo wars again if you know those rules it'll be easier to learn these, but there are definitely some differences in, especially in terms of like the events and how the enemy movement works the the player stuff is sort of similar um so the components these these are there's a typical g m t game right so so if you're you know used to g m t games you kind of know what you're getting. It's worth noting that the typical GMT game is a lot better in quality than it used to be. The older games would always have uh, paper boards and those small, little tiny, like half inch counters and stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, I was going to say,
1: saying something's a mm-hmm. GMT game used to not be a sign of distinction.
0: No, it wasn't. And it's, to, and in some regards, it's still about the same, uh, but definitely they have improved. Many games now bring mounted boards. This one did, for example.
1: This is a um, huge mounted board, in fact.
0: Yeah, it's pretty big. <laughs> and and that being said, it was still kind of crowded sometimes. That
1: was interesting.
0: Um and I will get that to more of that later when I talk when I compare it to Kramateria some more. Um where was I? And so yeah, so so it has a lot of counters. It's two counter sheets. Um, many of them are those small... I think these are three-quarter-inch counters. Maybe half-inch, I don't remember exactly. Exactly. And there are also some hex-shaped counters, which is nice. It's a little bit different. And those are, like, for the different settlements and the different, uh, villages. Um, I found sorting through the counters... At, at, at least at first, until I figured out how to organize it, it, was very tedious. Um, and the first few games, setting up just took forever trying to figure that out. Uh, the... Actually... Uh, worth mentioning here the playbook says before you first play punch out all your counters I think that was a big mistake I think the <laughs> oh, first really? time you play don't punch them out until it tells you to use them because it, it'll be easier to keep it organized at first otherwise you're going to have tons of counters to go through and it'll slow down your setup um, so yeah the counters The I, already mentioned I don't the think I could do play- it
1: that way just for me
0: No, you'd want to punch it all first? No, I would want to
1: punch them all out, and then I'd want to, if it doesn't tell me how to like organize it, I'd look up on BGG some sort of box or bag method for organizing them, and then organize them, and then play. But leaving them just sitting there unpunched, like for me, as soon as I get a game, I have to open it and punch it all the pieces. I have to. (laughs) I
0: totally get that. I, I, I'm usually the same way, but this one... I mean, I guess if I had gone online and somebody had said, oh, you want to organize it this way, yeah. Usually, with a GMT game, I'll get a, a counter tray and put it in a counter tray. But the counter tray doesn't fit in the box. In this no.
1: One. A GMT the counter board, tray doesn't fit in a GMT box?
0: Not in this box, because of the mount. if it wasn't for a mounted board, it would fit. They should have made the box bigger box. for that. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Though... Though you know, it's that and the fact that there's like f- four different decks of cards, and those two things took up a lot of space. So, I ended up putting things in ziplock bags, and I and, you know, I, now I have it in a way where the ziplock bags organized and I could set up the game in about 15 minutes and play, which is pretty quick, I think, for the for the considering the play time of the game. Um, what else do you get with this game? So, you get the books, the two books I mentioned. 48 pages of reading material and there's a couple charts of player aids that, you, that you're you going to rely on heavily. Actually, once you've learned the game you will reference the player aids and never look at the rule books. And They're very very well done player aids. And if you do need to reference the rule books the player aid makes it easy because it'll tell you which rule section each chart you're using references.
1: Oh really? Yeah, the player, player aids looked really nice. I wasn't aware that they actually tell you where to look in the rule book.
0: Yeah, well, because the, the sections are numbered in the play raid. I'll say like 4.5.1, and that's exactly the rule book page or section also. Wow. That, of course, nice. yeah. So, so yeah, so that, that was really well done. And that helped me a lot. Um, and then, so I mentioned cards already. This game does have a lot of cards. There's four decks for the periods. So when you're playing the game, there's four periods of time in history that represent the, the, the original rise, I guess, when, and Spain was an enemy. Then later on, you had to deal with Texas and then and Mexico, you know, once Mexico became independent from, te- from Spain. And then later on, the U.S. So each of the periods, you're going to have different enemies to deal with. And you have the deck of cards that are going to represent the- those different periods. And so the game tends to feel differently depending which deck you're using. And I thought that was really nice because that adds a lot more variability to it. Um, <clears throat> there's also a war deck that, that you use for, for moving the enemies when when they're on the board. And for what I thought was really neat, there's four cards, one per each of those time periods. And the the first card has the setup rules on there for what counters go on the board. So every time I play, you know, I just flip over the card, set it up based on that, and um, and then flip it to the other side, and has some rules for the, the win conditions. To defeat that time period um if you're playing a scenario that you're playing multiple time periods once you defeat the time period, you discard that card and then draw the next place the next time period on there and keep playing which which handles it really nicely in uh navajo wars the the victory conditions are in the rule book wherever the scenario setup is, so it's a little less convenient <clears throat> um. So yeah, so those are the components. Oh and there's three dice. I didn't mention them, but they are there. The the gameplay like,
1: Do you mm-hmm, like the do you like the art style and things on it? Does it how, how much pop does it have? Is this going to be something that actually attracts people because of the components?
0: I thought the arts the art's okay. I like Navajo Wars a lot more, actually. And because of that I found this one just okay. I think if I hadn't seen Navajo Wars that I'd be much happier with this one. I'm sorry, yeah, if I have not seen Navajo Wars. Um, that one to me just looks much much nicer. This one is more functional in, in the design. Um, yeah, actually, comes to think, the cards I think were nicer in Navajo Wars all around the counters, the the board especially. They had like these pictures of stones on it, but they're, they're both decent. The okay, so the gameplay. Um, you know, like I said, it took a while to learn the game. The game takes a while to play. I find that as I'm playing this game, I am able to actually make long-term strategies. Um, which seems a lot of games lately have that I've played have not been like that, where you really don't have the opportunity to make strategies because each round you're just reacting to what's going on. Um, and so in this one, I'm I'm able to make long-term strategies. And then each turn I do have... Some tactical situations I have to deal with, but I 'm still dealing with them in considering how it's going to affect my long term tactics and I thought that was really interesting, so I like that a lot about this game um, okay. i I also like the enemy instructions you know and this came from Navajo wars the way you have these counters as you when, when you take the enemy's AI, the ai's turn you have these counters and you slide them over. You always use the top counter and you slide them over. And then all the ones that are at the top kind of move to the bottom. And so it sort of mixes up the AI's order. And, it, you know, it's very efficient and easy to see what's coming up and, and plan for.
1: Um, so you're saying that's a, that's a positive of the graphic design, not, not about the mechanic.
0: No, it's the mechanic. The graphic is des- not so much a graphic design. Actually in uh. In Navajo Wars, again, I found that a little bit easier because you're, you had one enemy, so you had one set of counters that you're moving back and forth. And so it was easier to visualize in there. In this one, you actually have four potential enemies. Um, and so the counter's tend to be a little more crowded, and the graphic can't kind of show you how they move it as easily. And it's still very functional, but it's just a little more crowded there. Okay. Um... Now, what, one issue I do have with this is the play time is really long. You know, once I've learned the game, now that I've got it down. Each period seems to take about two hours. What's um, a period? The game has four periods. It's about about fifty years. So um, you don't
1: know if you've won until you go through all four periods, or?
0: So if the the first scenario is just one period, and you're going to play it, and each each game you you have a turn. Which has different phases, you know. Has enemy, has the the, ter- the part where you do stuff, and then the AI actions at the end. Um, after at each turn, after starting with the third one, you are going to roll a die to see if an and um, what is it called um, a passage of time turn happens. If it does, that sort of and that turn will end the round when the passage of time happens. And there's a bunch of things like clean up, and you could advance, it, create a new rancheria, which is um like a new village. <clears throat> um, where was I going with this where was I going with all this
1: I asked you about length of time and about a yeah. period and what happens in a period
0: okay so so a a single it's a, period it's a good thing I'm here Albert <laughs> thank you <laughs> so, uh, so getting, the game yeah. is going to have multiple of these rounds at the at each time you have a round um, the passage of time is going to move forward. At some point, you're going to reach the the third round and you start rolling dice. And if you roll under the, the round number, then you have a victory check. And at that point, you check to see the victory conditions. And if you have met them, you have succeeded at defeating that period. Um, and, and so that's how the game would go. So it's about, I'd say, about an average of four to five rounds is a, f- a full period of time. Um, and as I said, the first scenario is just one period of time. So at that point, you, d- you look at your card. If you met the victory conditions, you won the game. If you did not meet the victory conditions, you lost the game. And, you know, it's very black and white.
1: But you don't if find that out until after all the periods for the scenario.
0: For No, for that for that one period. In, if you're playing a game with multiple periods, if... You, you did your victory check and either you defeated that period, you move on to the next, or you lost a period, you
1: just lost the game. Well, how satisfying is it to play just one period?
0: Uh, <laughs> I, I wish I could try more of them. Because it takes two hours, it is really hard to get to get more than one period out. Because a, a full four-period oh. game, I think, should take eight hours if you win each round, each period. Because right? I, I could say, I'm going to play the whole campaign game. And reach the first victory condition and fail. And I just lost the game. <laughs> so I'll never get to that second, much less third, and fourth. Um, I have not played a game where I played more than one period. I think it would be interesting and you know be very epic, definitely. But it would just be really, really time consuming. If I could leave the game out and set up and come back, you know, every couple of days to play it, that would be really great. I would love to do that. Just to get
1: one of those nice gaming tables.
0: Or sure <laughs> that's only a few thousand dollars, right? Yeah. Ah <laughs> uh, that'd be nice. That would be really nice because I could do that. I'd set it up and then the cats could come in and the kids could come in and nobody messes with my game. <laughs> and that's what you, that's a you really need for this to work. As a matter of fact, I was playing today and you know it was I was playing the one scenario that starts in the third period. And and that did feel very different than the, the other scenario that I've been playing. But, you know, every once in a while, the the animals would come by. The cats would jump on the table and I got to deal with them. Or the dogs, when I go outside or something, start barking. Or my kids need something like, oh, I don't know, lunch or whatever. And and things would happen. And that just kept distracting me from the game. and finally got to a point where I realized there's no way I'm going to win the game anyway. And I am sort of lost track of where I was in the turn because of distractions. And so I just had to give up. Um, so the, the gameplay, I mean, it's interesting, but it's long. And you got to dedicate some time to this game for sure. Um, and I said there's a few different scenarios. All of them but one do start you on, on the first period, which is 1700 to 1750. Um, the first scenario is just one period. All the other ones are longer, either two, three, or four. And then there's the one scenario that starts you on period three and goes through period four um the Joe had mentioned I'm not sure where if I read this I think I read this that uh he may be trying to come up with a way to ha- to let you start in the other periods and just have more scenario options and that would be really nice. It'd just be a matter of coming up with the setup because each card tells you it's very condition I mean in theory, I could play any one period to its victory check and call it a win or a loss I just need to know how to set up the counters for the beginning of that period and that's the one question and when I played the scenario with the third period that worked really well now I'm probably kind of getting too deep into the details here let's move on Um, the theme, I find the theme really interesting I find the, the historical subject just really cool and I find that the game implements that theme really well um the way you're a tribe and you're attacking other tribes and trading with them and dealing with the different attacking uh, armies from, from Spain or Mexico or whoever. I thought, I found that was all very well implemented in the theme or in the mechanics. Um, and I thought, I think the art is really nice and works well with that too. Uh, I also think that the four decks that you have for each period of time being different really helps out a lot because it changes the way the game feels. The first game does not have as much interacting with. With the different enemies, the the first period, the later periods have a lot more interaction in those are, decks.
1: Are you saying it helps keep the replayability high, so that each one feels different? Or are you saying the theme, the interaction I mean, the, with the theme, is better? Because a
0: little of bit of, bo- I mean, it's both. The theme, because the um, because each deck is different, each time period feels different, and so I think that adds to the theme because it's it's you know more or less historically accurate. But it also just adds to replayability because each game can be very different. you know I've had games where where I'm getting attacked a lot by different enemies because of the cards that I've drawn and the the counters that I've pulled and other games where it happens very little and, and there's a ton of variability in this game in terms of the AI counters and the all the different decks I'm using even in one period you got the the period deck you got a war deck and you get the AI counters to deal with. And the chits to deal with that all affect the game and add a lot of unpredictability to it, a lot of chaos. Um, so I did say I did some comparisons of this to Navajo Wars, So let me give you a list of just a few so far. Hmm,
1: a few, just a
0: few. <laughs> and so and far. I've gone into them already, haven't I? So, so the first one, I think the one I've mentioned the most is I really like the art a lot better for Navajo Wars. I think the board is just prettier.
1: Um, I mean, even the even the the front of the board—it's black and white. To come and share, yet looks, but it's not in Navajo Wars. It
0: is, it is not black and white. It is color, but there there's not as much color. Um, Navajo Wars, for example, has art on it that is purely aesthetic. A huge corner of the board that just has some stones and things on it—they're just totally decoration.
1: Um I find it funny that I look at games like Rise to Nobility, which the whole thing is full of beautiful art, and you're saying one corner of the board has stones <laughs> for decoration. I'm like, um, it, who's missing the memo here? Who's missing the memo?
0: <laughs> you know, it, it's a different aesthetic sense. I've I've heard comic people before say, "Wow, look at this war game map. It is beautiful. I'd love to frame this." And, you know, and I have the same reaction you're mentioning. It's like it looks like a map. I mean, I guess it's nice. I I don't feel the same attraction to it. I think it's just there's you know, war gamers tend to have a different sense of aesthetic. Maybe, I guess. Whatever. Yeah, um, but but I do, like I said, I do prefer the art for Navajo Wars. War gamers. (laughs) Even the box, I like the art box better. Navajo Wars. I don't know. I I I found the cover more striking in that other game. Um, you know, again, this is aesthetics. It's just a personal preference. The much of all the differences probably are most of them. The Navajo Wars. Has a cue bag that you draw from for events, and as you draw stuff from that cue from that bag, some go back into the bag, some go onto the board and are left out, and may come back in later through different actions, player actions, or, or game events. And I, I love the, that cue bag. I think that's really interesting. Commentary does the same thing, but with chits, um, less exciting. <laughs> uh, also, the chits are simpler, but they, they simplified the game a lot. I think. Um, that's one of the other differences. Navajo Wars is more complex. The way the AI moves, the enemies move, is more complex. The the cube bag is more complex. Um, I think a little bit of the t- passage of time events are a little more complex also.
1: So commentary is, is simpler. Like more complex as in harder to understand or more complex as in not?
0: <clears throat> not necessarily harder. To, I mean, a little harder to understand, but it just adds... More, more housekeeping and that sort of thing to it, I think, and more. Okay, so not more depth. Maybe, yeah. I mean, like the the cube events, I think the cube bag from Okay Navajo Wars added more depth and more. Well, let me let me, let me
1: put it to you this way: Is it good to have more complex or not good to have more complex?
0: I I think that's up to the player. For myself, oh, I think for the, the less complex would make the game more accessible because I'm already saying that the the two hour playtime is a bit of a stretch for me. So, adding complexity would be a challenge. Uh, somebody that doesn't have an issue with that might prefer more and just want more to it. So, yeah, I, th- I think that that's up to you. Um, I like the bag and how that worked, but, you know, the, the more streamlined play I, I appreciate. <laughs> the commentary again, I like how the setup and win conditions are described on the cards instead of in a. Rule book, I, it's just it's in front of you the whole time. You could always reference it to whenever, you, anytime you want in the game instead of having to flip to that book and you know find the book where they put that book and what box is it and whatnot. So so that's just nicer and more well done, I think. Um, I mentioned I like the box art better Navajo Wars. Um, I also like the the dice in Navajo Wars are nicer. You know,
1: that one were like okay, special dice. Let me just cut. Let me just cut to the chase here. Which of the two do you recommend for someone who doesn't have either?
0: Uh one more thing and then I'll get into that. The AI mm-hmm. in Comancheria, it's worth noting it is simpler. Um and that's when the enemy moves. It the the AI in Comancheria, each turn the enemy just moves towards you a space, you draw a card and it tells you which enemies to move and you move them. The the one in Navajo Wars was complicated in that you you put all these counters on the board and you kind of stretch it and it's just, I don't know, just more fiddly. I thought, um, and finally commentary. I found the board is more crowded. Navajo wars. had more open space and stuff that you don't use for anything. And yet the game felt less crowded to me. So, so yeah. So do you need both games? That's the first question. Um, if you're interested in the historical aspects of the game, I'd say yes, both games are interesting and they both are good historical simulations about different but closely related periods. So, you know, it'd be interesting to to have both and play through them and see how the two different Native American tribes interacted with the, the cultures around them and the encroaching uh, Americans and Spanish and whatnot. If you're not hist- interested in the history of the game, I think one is just fine. You don't need both um they're not that different um if you had bought one and you played through it and and you're you think you've played as much as you can get out of it but you want more then i'd say then get the other one um which one would should you choose i think that's a hard choice you know i've already told you a little bit about the differences i think if you want to ask
1: you five minutes ago what do you recommend
0: what do i recommend (laughs) personally i i preferred Comancheria because it was more streamlined i think they're both great games i really like them both um, I think it's a very personal choice, but I prefer Comancheer myself. Even though I like the look of Novel Wars better. You said you looked into the game, so when you watch a video, what are your thoughts of it so far?
1: Uh, well, I mean, looking at it again, I think that we were talking about, I'm. I, I have to say, I look a lot more to a certain visual style I like in my games, mm-hmm. and whenever I've looked at these GMT games... Or specifically, this one I look at, it, I'm like, "Wow, that it doesn't it doesn't look pretty." Like, mm-hmm. w- what what member did they miss? You know, <laughs> I, I was thinking that before. I liked that from looking through it. It felt like I could understand the rules. Um, so I took the opportunity to go through and understand the rules and see about that. And it looks like I could understand the rules. Now, that again, I didn't take the time to sit down and try and draft it all out to make sure I could understand the rules, mostly because after having played, like we talked about before, Clans of Caledonia digitally, I just didn't want to try playing this one digitally. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is like twice as complicated. Four times, who knows? But um, I-, I felt like it. the rules were understandable. I liked that, again, they had the... Um, how to play box that how to play rule book that goes through and basically has a tutorial for how to do it. I like that they did that. But er uh, it just doesn't it doesn't look nice <laughs> and that bothers me. Okay. It bothers me when they make such a great it, it bothers me when someone wants to make a great design but doesn't finish the polish. Okay.
0: That's interesting, I mean, I think and I guess,
1: that's just a point of view
0: sort of thing because it seems that a lot of people love the games, and
1: well, I mean well, that's a point of view coming from not having played the game at all. Yeah, and it may very well be that having played the game, then you know, I would say, hey, the gameplay is really great. But all I'm basing it on is what it looks like, right? And, and, that's, and that's, that's always the, the first thing. Because the
0: first thing is, you know, the look of something. You're always going to see it, and immediately, immediately, you start making judgments and decisions just based on something's look, and that's just human nature.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. I can see where you are coming and from. And so, just based on the look of it, it just seems, yeah, seems like a snooze. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I I can see what you're saying. Um, yeah. Um, so my final thoughts on the game: I really enjoyed this. I, I found I had a great time playing it. It it was a bit of a chore and a learning process, but it was. It was not a chore. It was a project. It was a fun project. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the whole process of learning the game and taking notes to figure it out and whatnot, and and going back. And you know, my wife kept looking at me like I'm weird because I'm writing notes about how to play the game so I could learn it. <laughs> and it was just neat. Um, the The gameplay is interesting. It's challenging. not every you know. It's not going to be easy to win. I think. Out of the six games I have managed to play, I've only won one. Um. It and I have fun as I play that. Um, you know, my the only drawback and the big one is that length of play. It just it's not a game that's gonna be accessible to, for a lot of people, if if you have limited time, you got to be able to dedicate at least two hours to it. I think in one sitting, and you and you could, you could stop mid game. Um, at a breaking point, like at the end of a passage of time or at the end of any turn, really and step away and come back and continue and I think just like any other game you just have to figure out you know what was I trying to accomplish at, you know what what I need to do next and that would not be hard but you know still even then it's a, t- it's a time sink <laughs> so yep there we go that's Comancheria alright so Albert I
1: think that's Comancheria yep that's everything so that's a show all right. Thank you, listeners. Yep. Uh, you know, appreciate everyone coming in. And again, we really appreciate all of our patrons. We can't thank you guys uh-huh. enough for coming on supporting us. And we, you know, we want to appreciate all of our listeners too. We appreciate all the feedback we get. Everyone coming over to come chat with us in the Discord. Uh, take the opportunity to tell us about your thoughts and feedback on Comancheria or my soapbox about meeting expectations or, you know, any other aspect of solitaire gaming. Who knows? Mm-hmm. All right, people. Thanks for listening. Night. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG, and Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus can be found at Jamendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce pancaldi whose page is at DonPancaldi.com. The one player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share alike license. Thanks for listening.